I'm excited about jumping into God's Word together. Uh, we're continuing in our series called Led by Presence, and we're continuing this discovery of what it looks like to be a people who are filled with the presence of God, but also led by the presence of God. And so we're kind of continuing this morning from where we left off last week. So last week we were in Exodus 33 and 34, where we see uh, the people of God and Moses. They're right there at the threshold of the promised land. Moses is going up. He's received the Ten Commandments, but the people have made this idol and they've, they've committed this great sin. And so God says, I'm going to let you have the promised land, but my presence isn't going with you. And, and what we see from the people and from Moses is this brokenness. And immediately they say, God, if you're not going, we don't want to go. And what we discovered from that was without God's presence, we have nothing. And we are nothing. But with God's presence, even if we have nothing by the world's standards, we have everything. And so this morning, we're kind of continuing that story into the New Testament and into the work of Christ and how that work of Christ gives us access into the presence of God and into God's glory. Now, I don't know how many of you this morning would call yourself like a movie buff. Who would say, I, I consider myself a movie. I like to watch movies, right? This is a terrible illustration because apparently none of you watch movies. <laughs> Good gosh. Would y'all please subscribe to Netflix and get your life together, okay? Um, literally thousands of movies, okay? Um, so, I like movie sagas, right? I like, I like a series of movies where they're kind of building and the story is progressing. But can you think of one movie? Somebody named one that I hadn't thought of in the 8 o'clock service, and I did agree with them. Can you think of one trilogy or, or a series of movies where the sequel was better than the original? Can you think of a single one? Okay, it's a good one. Lord of the Rings, I'm with you. Okay. But the two towers was a bit, that was four hours before they finally started, you know, beating up on the enemy. It took a long time to get there. All right. So other than one, the one that got named this morning was Indiana Jones. And I was like, okay, that's a good one. That's if one of you say Rocky two was better than Rocky one, I swear I'm leaving or you're leaving. One of us is getting out of here because that is, I know he won in Rocky two, but it wasn't a better movie, right? Rocky one's unbelievable, right? So, um, Rarely do you see the sequel that is better than the original. But what we're going to discover in the scriptures this morning, and what we're going to see from the writings of Paul, is that even though the Old Testament and the Old Covenant was full of the promises of God, and we did see the power of God, it was only a foreshadowing of the New Testament. It was only a, a, a painting a picture of what was going to be fulfilled because in the New Testament, what we have is the fulfillment of every promise in the Old Testament. We have the completion of those things and all the expectations of God become a reality for us because of the work of Christ. So I want you to grab your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and what we're going to see is Paul is um, beginning to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in Christ, and between this picture that we see of God's glory with Moses and the power he experienced and the transforming power and glory that we can experience 
because of Christ. And so I want you to be at 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to give you a little bit of context for that uh, by reminding us parts of the story from Exodus 34. So I'm going to read um, a little bit from that. Just a reminder, Moses is on Mount Sinai. Now the, the the idol's been built, it's been destroyed, the people have sinned, they have repented, and God has given now uh, the Ten Commandments again to Moses, so he's, he's kind of re-ratified that covenant, and Moses is going up and spending time with God, but what you discover is something changes because Moses was spending time in God's presence. Something something is different on him as a result of having been in God's presence. Listen to what it says in verse 29 of Exodus 34. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Now Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him, but Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of, of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked to them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them uh, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded... The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, the, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. God's glory changed Moses, right? Being in God's presence caused the glory of God quite literally to radiate from his face, his skin was shining. It says that he essentially glowed. God's presence had this transforming power on him. Now, Moses didn't know it, but the people could see it. The people could see it. And in order to protect the, the people from the glory of God, and in order to hide that this glory of God was fading from Moses' face, Moses covered his face with a veil. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is going to use this picture that we see of Moses and the veil to contrast for us the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant that we have in Christ, the difference between the, that glory that Moses experienced versus the glory that we now have in Christ. So look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll start there. It says, Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, what, are, what is that? The letters on stone. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, right? He's talking about the law. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would 
put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because why? Only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to the no another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need your word this morning, the power of it, the truth of it. And so, Lord God, I am praying that you would illuminate it for us, magnify it for us, bring it to life in our sight and in our ears and in our hearts. And God, I pray you would protect me, guard my mouth, guard my mind, Father. Just speak your word to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul takes this, this encounter that Moses had with God's presence to show us that as great as that was, it is nothing compared to what we can experience through the Holy Spirit. You go, well, hold on. Moses was literally glowing. He was so close to God's presence, he was a glowworm coming down the mountain. He literally was shining with the glory of God, and it couldn't even be hidden. And you're telling me that I'm to see that as less than what I can have. And I am telling you that it is in Christ. It is through life in the spirit that we have access to something better, something fuller. Life in the spirit is far superior to life in the law. Now, why would that be true? What, what is it that we have in Christ, in this new covenant, in the cross, that they did not have in the old covenant. I think we're going to see three truths this morning. Here's the first one. Life in the Spirit gives us access to a greater glory. Life in the Spirit gives us access to a greater glory. Look again at verse 7 through 11. Now, if the ministry of death that was carved in letters on stone came with such glory in the Israelites that they could not even gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even what? More glory. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must what? Far exceed it in glory. Indeed is the case. What once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is being permanent have glory. Now think about those five verses. That's five verses where Moses is essentially, Moses, where Paul is essentially saying the same thing. He is contrasting between the glory that comes from the law and the glory that comes from Jesus through the Spirit. He's describing the ministry of the law, which, by the way, he describes as the ministry of death. That's how he calls it, the ministry of condemnation. And he is talking about how this ministry of the law, how the law and the old covenant and the Ten Commandments cannot compare to the ministry of the spirit of life. Here's why. Because the Ten Commandments 
and the law, all of the law, really the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of these five books of the law were given for a distinct purpose. They were given to show what life with God and in God should look like. But they were also given to reveal that, um, that we needed something greater than ourselves in order to experience that life. The law in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, was given to show us what life with God and in God should look like. But it was also given to reveal the fact that we needed something greater than ourselves in order to experience that life. Meaning what? The law was never meant to save. It was meant to reveal the need for salvation. The law was given to reveal, not to fulfill. As I thought about this this week, oddly enough, I I thought of our bathroom scale. (laughs) How many of you have a scale in your bathroom? How many of you hate the scale in your bathroom? Correct, that was the right answer. Um, So we have a scale in our bathroom. And, um, you know, sometimes when I get on that scale, I'm like, good job, scale. You nailed it. Looks good. Looks good. And sometimes I get on that scale and I go, scale, if you were a person, I'd punch you in the face right now, right? And uh, because here's the deal. I can look in the mirror (laughs) and I can go, nailing it. You look good, baby. You're going to kill it today. Very proud of you. And then I get on the scale and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Mm, Maybe not. This may not be going as well as I thought it was. Why? Because the scale has one purpose. What is it? To reveal where I really am. And it don't matter what I put on, it don't matter how I dress it up, that number tells me where I really am. Now, does that scale have the power to move me from where I really am to where I should be? It's powerless to do that. It's only given to reveal, right? And in this similar way, God has given this law the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, it is given not to save, but to reveal the need for salvation, right? In that same way, it's designed to reveal our need for for us to have something greater than ourselves, something outside of ourselves, which means this, the law is always pointing to Christ. All of the Old Testament is pointing to a person And that is Jesus. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, I think in verse 17, he said, I have not come to abolish the law. He said, don't think I came to abolish this law. He said, I've come to what? Fulfill it. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to be that which is outside of you and greater than you, to do for you what you can never do for yourself, to fulfill this law and to make the way for you to experience the greater glory of God. And that Old Testament covenant, those Ten Commandments, the law was given to draw our heart to the reality of a deeper need for a greater glory. It was given to draw our heart to the reality of a deeper need. It was always only going to provide a temporary fading glory. This is why Paul called it the ministry of condemnation. The minute that when you read that from Paul, you're like, he's talking about the Old Testament. Why is he calling it the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation? 
It feels out of bounds, but the reality is what he's showing you is this law could only reveal the inner um, issue that you have that you could not fulfill on your own. It could only reveal that you are condemned apart from God doing something on your behalf because there is a standard that he's put forth as an expectation and you don't have the power to meet that standard. So Paul calls it the ministry of condemnation. And he says that if that law, which leads to death, had glory, (laughs) if there was glory in that law, then how much more glorious is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? We have access to a greater glory through the spirit than Moses had through the law. Now remember, when Moses got a glimpse, he just got a glimpse of of God's goodness and God's power, it temporarily but literally transformed him. But through the Spirit, we have access to so much more. Why? Because in Jesus, we have access to a greater glory, a glory that is not fading, a glory that is not temporary, a glory that 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 is not going away. It is a glory that gives life and is transforming the heart. In Christ, life in the Spirit, we have access to a greater glory. Here's the second thing I think we see. Life in the Spirit gives us true spiritual freedom. True spiritual freedom. Look at verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So Moses covered his face, and he he had to cover his face, one, to conceal that the glory was fading, that it was temporary, but also to protect the people, to protect the sinful Israelites from the glory of God. And Moses says, that veil is still there. Why? Because it is the veil of sin that lays over every human heart. It is the veil of sin over, because of our sin, We cannot see the glory of God. We cannot experience the glory of God. We're blinded to his glory. So listen, sin is the veil that stands between those who are not in Christ and the glory of God and the presence of God. Sin is the veil that stands between us there. And I want you to hear me say this. We cannot remove our own veil. You cannot remove the veil of sin from your own eyes. So how do we remove it? The answer is Jesus. The answer is the cross. The answer is being born again, turning to him for salvation. The law cannot set you free from sin. It can only reveal your slavery to it. And Paul says that the way we get true spiritual freedom is life in the spirit. That's where the heart of stone is revealed and the heart of stone can become the heart of flesh. This is why we need a savior. This is why we turn to Jesus for salvation. 
Paul said in Galatians 4, he said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When we receive this new heart of flesh, God gives us freedom. The veil is removed from our eyes. That veil between you and God's glory, that veil between you and God's presence is removed. That is true spiritual freedom, which means this. Spiritual freedom is not, I'm going to believe whatever I want, and you, can just, you just need to let me believe whatever I want. That's not true spiritual freedom. That's just another form of bondage. True spiritual freedom is not, I'm going to find my own way to God and I'll figure this out. That is another form of bondage. True spiritual freedom is I have turned, I have received salvation, and now I am set free from the consequences of my sin. I am set free to see the glory of God. I am set free to walk in the life I was created for. That's spiritual freedom. Paul says that only comes through life in the Spirit. So life in the Spirit, we have access to a greater glory. Life in the Spirit gives us true spiritual freedom. And life in the Spirit gives us an ever-increasing transformation. An ever-increasing transformation. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 18. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being what? Say that word. Transformed. Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed by the glory of God. And listen, this is not the same transformation that Moses experienced. Moses experienced an outward transformation that was fading. But we get to experience in Christ an internal transformation that is ever increasing. It is ever growing. That law can only affect the outside. It cannot change the inside. And I think there are people who come in and out of church and they are absolutely miserable because they're doing all they can to remove their own veil and do everything externally that they know to do to try to change the reality that internally they are still dead. And it is only life in the spirit that transforms the inside. And in transforming the heart, the outside it begins to be transformed. And I'm just convinced there's probably somebody in this room right now who if you were honest, you would say, yeah, man, that's me. I'm doing everything I can to try to transform my own life. And I'm trying to make that outside look right. The glory that Moses experienced only changed the outside, which was why it was just a shadow of what we get in Christ because Christ gives us an ever-increasing transformation in our heart. The heart of stone is removed. We get the heart of flesh. And then from one degree of glory to another, we are being made into a new image. And what is that image? He said, that is the image of Jesus. Those who 
come to God through faith in Christ. We have our sins forgiven. We have the veil removed. The veil of unbelief is removed. And we are able to look on God's glory. And those who see him begin to become like him. Those who have had the veil removed and are able to see God and experience the glory of God begin to become like him. This is why Paul said we're being transformed into this image. It is in coming to Christ that we behold a glory that is increasingly transforming us into that glory. Meaning this, so that from the beginning to the end, from the start to the finish, believers If you are a believer, you are being transformed by God's glory. You are being transformed for his glory. And you are being transformed into the image of his glory. God's word says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. John 1.14 says, And we have through Christ seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it is in turning, it is in giving our hearts to Jesus that we experience this ever-increasing transformation. So the question we got to answer is this. If life in the Spirit gives me access to a greater glory, and life in the Spirit gives me true spiritual freedom, and life in the Spirit is what gives me an ever-increasing transformation, then how do I get life in the Spirit? And I think there's two words, two very simple things that we see from God's Word. And I'm going to give it to you in two words. Believing and beholding. Believing and beholding. What do I mean? Look at verse 16. Paul says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When he says one turns to the Lord and the veil is removed, Paul is describing salvation. He is describing saving faith or believing because in order to turn to the Lord, that is a turning away from whatever I was trusting in and whatever I was pursuing and whatever I was trying to be satisfied by that was leaving me increasingly depleted, increasingly frustrated, increasingly wanted. And Paul says, when you finally turn from that and turn to the Lord in believing, then the veil is removed. That's what he means when he says he's describing salvation. He says that when this happens, we are supernaturally changed. And when the veil is removed, we, and we cannot remove this veil ourselves. Listen, there is no amount of knowledge you can give. There is no, it doesn't matter how sincerely you want to, how diligently you study, or how desperately you try. You cannot remove your veil. And you will waste your life trying to fix yourself. And at some point, I am begging that you come to the end and you turn to the Lord. And you say, God, I can't remove the veil of sin from my own eyes. I can't. I need you to do this. It is in believing. This is what happens when we are saved. Jesus calls this being born again. 
I think this is the reason that some people can, can come to church and they can come week in and week out and not engage in the worship of Jesus. Not be moved by the word of God. Have no felt need or be moved at all in the prayer to the Lord. They can come and they have no engagement in worship, no desire to pursue the word. No desire to, how can that be possible? Because the veil remains. The veil remains. And we typically medicate the reality that we still have the veil by trying to get more and more knowledge into us about God. But no amount of knowledge about him is what's going to transform the heart. It has to be in a surrender to him. It is in a laying down of my life. It's in a recognition that I don't need more facts. I need a person and I need him to come and save me. It is in believing that the veil is removed. And listen, I, I'm convinced, I have been convinced in every service Someone needs to experience the miracle of believing, of turning to the Lord. Because I know there are people in this room who are flat, sick, and tired of trying to dress up the outside. And you're ready for that ever-increasing transformation to experience the glory of God. That's what it's, it's in believing turning to the Lord. Also, I said it's two words, believing and beholding. Look at verse 18. Paul said, and we all with unveiled face, right? This is everyone who has turned to the Lord, been made alive in the spirit, the veil of sin removed. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Paul says the moment of our spiritual freedom, the veil is removed, that moment is followed by our spiritual transformation because when the veil of sin is gone, we can now boldly look at Christ who is the glory of God and we can see him for who he is and we can see him for what he is and what he desires for our life. This beholding is the beginning of the process of God transforming his children into the image of Christ. What does it mean to behold? What, is it, what does that mean? In the original language, that word literally means to contemplate and gaze like staring into a mirror. That's what it means. It's in the present tense, which means present active. It is an ongoing action that we do as people who have turned our hearts, who have believed, turned to the Lord. Now there is this ongoing action, meaning this, that the posture of the life of the believer is one that should be constant in beholding, constant in gazing upon the Lord. Jesus would call this abiding. Why does Paul say we have to behold the glory of the Lord? Gaze at it like gazing into a mirror. Here's why. Because you become what you behold. You will become what you behold. When our, when our kids were little, they used to watch different shows. Uh, Disney Channel, I don't even know what all the channels were. And um, what we started to notice 
was there was a change in their behavior and their attitude toward us based on the show they were watching. Parents, any of y'all see that? Right? All of a sudden, sweet little Kelsey watching Hannah Montana found it very easy to roll her eyes and walk off in the middle of the conversation. And I was like, oh, no, we're not doing that. Mm-mm. Right? Or my boys started talking to me like Zach and Cody on The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody talked to their mom. I was like, hold on, I ain't your buddy. I'm your daddy. You know what I mean? I started to notice they were relating to us in that way. What was happening? They were becoming what they were beholding. And I think there are so many believers who are frustrated with their spiritual growth. They can't feel, figure out why they are hitting spiritual walls, why they feel stuck, why they feel like they can't move forward. And it is because you have changed what you are beholding. What are you gazing at? What are you beholding? This is why God's word is relentlessly calling us to lift up our eyes and behold Christ. Paul said in Philippians 4, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, think on these things. Why? Behold them, look on them, because you become what you behold. This is why he said in Colossians 3, to set your mind on things that are above where Christ is seated. Why? Because I'm going to become what I behold. This is why I said in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, where he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind, they behold the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their mind, they behold the things of the Spirit. For a mind set on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit to behold the Spirit is life and peace. What are you beholding? We got believers that are so dialed into social media that they don't remember what it felt like to be content with who they are in Christ Jesus. They don't remember feeling good about who they are in Christ because all they do is see everyone else's life which is fake, by the way. What are you beholding? Because whatever that is, that is what you're becoming. This is why we guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because I'm going to become what I am beholding. So it's just two very simple questions this morning. Here's the first one. Have you believed? Have you believed? Has the veil of sin been removed? Or was your confession would be, I am laboring to make the outside look good, but the reality is, I'm still dead on the inside. You cannot, a dead man cannot start the heart to beat again. And some of you need the Lord God of heaven to come and remove the veil of sin, take out that heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh so that it can be quickened and it can be awakened to the person of Christ and the glory of God. Have you believed? Because if you haven't, 
In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And you just need to come down here and you need to say, I need Jesus to remove the veil. And I need to belong to him. And for some of you, the question is, what are you beholding? Are you finding yourself frustrated and dissatisfied and struggling and not knowing why you feel this way? And if you were to answer, what am I gazing? Where am I gazing? What am I beholding? The reality is you may just need to come and confess, I've got my eyes on things that are not drawing me toward God. They are drawing me away. What are you beholding this morning? I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to worship and we're going to respond. And If you need to give your heart to Jesus, come on. If you need to come and pray and confess or just have somebody pray for you, listen, I need to to get my eyes off of the world and I need to get my eyes on the one who can actually give me this increasing glory and transform my life. And come on and let's pray. Father, I pray that over the next few minutes as we worship, your spirit would move and that you would give us for those that need it that you would give the removal of the veil and for those of us who have fixed our eyes on things that are worth less than you would you cause us to gaze on you and on your glory in Jesus name, amen let's worship, let's respond